Okay, the book of Job. Now, we just finished what are commonly called the historical books, which is Joshua through Esther. And the next five books are called the poetical books. But it's not because they don't have history in them. You will run into people who are malinformed or they've been deceived, which who will try to tell you that there is no history in the book of Job. And that, I can tell you, is nonsense. It is a history book as well as a book of poetry. It's called a book of poetry because it is written in poetry. Unfortunately, we missed that in the translation. In the Hebrew, the same thing is for the Psalms. Psalms have history too important history about what happened to Israel and <clears throat> Song of Solomon, also a poetry book, also um, is a historical thing. It actually happened. There was a relationship between Solomon and a woman, and that's what the Song of Solomon is about. Uh, so the Job, Job, the book of Job actually happened. It's, it's, and it better be true that it uh, happened because I got to tell you, I need this book. I really need this book. And every Christian needs this book. You need to understand it. Now, a, a long joke about the book of Job is I don't want to read the book of Job because if I start to read it, it will happen to me. And uh, I don't know what to say other than you got to get over that. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> that was my approach maybe the first few times I read it. But uh, it... Um, in some senses, it's true. All of us are going to be encountering calamity. Uh, the chances of you encountering calamity equal Job, uh, I'm not going to say it's 0%, but highly, highly, highly unlikely, but so much to learn from the book of Job. Now, there's many reasons we believe this actually happened in history, but not the least of which is the prophet Ezekiel. I just went through this because I just finished it, Ezekiel. says in Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, the Lord, this is actually God himself speaking, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were here and interceding I, 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 for, this, uh, for this country, I, I wouldn't answer. They're too far gone. They would deliver their own souls, but uh, at this point, Israel is doomed. And that's what we saw at the end of the book of Second Chronicles, and then they were exiled. Uh, but Ezekiel actually mentions Job twice. Uh, who else? What trivia time? Bible trivia. What's the other book that Job is mentioned? The man Job. Three, two... One. Hebrews. Who? Peter? Hebrews. Hebrews? Okay, that's kind of close. Matt? Jesus. What? Wow, that's very close. That is so close. David? James. Yes! <laughs> yes, James chapter 5. Verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end 
intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now notice, just from the book of James, where that is read, we notice just how important it is to read the book of Job. A piece of what happens to Job is going to happen to you. And some of you, uh, it's already happened to you. Uh, certainly it has with me and Stephanie many times over. You'll get a piece of the book of Job. It's so important that we understand this book, such an important book in navigating life. Just in navigating life, this book is very, very important. Uh, the book of Job. Uh, what else here before we get into it? it the, the book of Job has, it has uh, many different many different themes in it. Uh, now I'm just thinking today or yesterday in my devotion time how hard it must be to be God just to manage my life alone. I mean, I'm such a complicated mess. Like if he gives me one too little blessing too much and that's going to be too much because pride will come in. So he knows exactly what he's doing. But can you imagine? He's managing hundreds of millions of Christians as well as all the world, as well as everything. We're just not going to know why he's doing everything all the time. And that's one of the main messages of Job. When I think about the main, uh, another main message of Job, I think of Ephesians 3.10, which is, a, you don't have to turn there, but it's an absolutely shocking and astonishing uh, verse. You know, I really try to put verses in front of me a lot that speak of the importance in God's economy of the church, the local church. People who think that they can somehow operate outside of the church, they don't know the Bible. Uh, the church is so important in God's economy. In Ephesians 3.10, it actually says this of the church. It says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Say what? I'll say it again. The manifold wisdom of God, meaning who God is and all his wisdom and his glory, is made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, meaning to demons, to angels, to everyone else, is learning something just by what God is doing through the church and what God is doing through you, what God did through Job. Everyone was watching. All the angels are watching. God knows what's going to happen, but he alone knew what was going to happen. The angels and principalities, and, and so, uh, and that's part of what's going on in your life. You're literally, you are a witness to the devil and to the good angels too, but you're a witness to the devil himself. And so we're going to read um, about that. So important, this book about trusting the sovereignty of God. I tell you, to do life with the Lord, you got to know this book. You have to know it. Trusting in the sovereignty of God, what I mean by that. If he has some, there's some calamity in his life, he either allowed it, but more likely directed it. And you, you have to just trust 
that he knows what he's doing. And, and Job, Job did that. And following God for who he is, not what he gives you. Now, not, I should say not exclusively because of what he gives you. That's what Job is, is, is all about as well. And um, it is the oldest book in the Bible. There's general agreement about that. This guy, Job, there is a Jobab mentioned in Genesis 10. It may be the same guy. Almost universal agreement, or general agreement, at least among scholars who actually believe the Bible, that he either lived at the time of Abraham or before. I think it. I, I think it's pretty clear that he lived before Abraham. Genesis 10 is before Abraham, and uh, so very old book. How do we know that? There's a number of reasons. One, it says he's the most righteous person on the earth. That's what it says. We'll read that in a few verses. And yet in chapter 1, he's giving sacrifices for his kids. Now, after the time of Moses, you're not allowed to do stuff like that unless you're a priest. And the Lord looks on it commending. It looks to me like it's, it's commended that he does that. He also lives up to over 200 years old. That generally doesn't happen after Moses. It doesn't happen, I don't believe, ever um, um, after, after Moses. Uh, the, why else, what else? There's no reference in here to the tabernacle, to the law of Moses, nothing about the Sabbath. There's no reference to the law of Moses. So uh, this is a really, really old book, you know, Humans, we have been struggling how to do life for a long time. And the, we have a spectacular advantage over Job because we know Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We are the Holy Spirit in us. He, we have God's record throughout the Bible. We have the promises, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is called the linchpin of Christian living. God works all things together for good. For those who love God and are called according to purpose. He didn't have that. Uh, but yet he had, um, he had, he clearly had a close relationship with God. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz. I do not know where Uz is. Whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. So he, what he, this, this man followed the Lord. Seven sons, verse two, he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep. So right there, this guy is phenomenally wealthy. This guy was really rich. This guy, Job, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. I mean, what do you do with five camels? He's got, he's got 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. I don't know how many male donkeys he had. Doesn't say. 
and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So we will see again in verse 8, there is none like him on the earth in terms of his walk with God. This guy walked with God. He was a lover of God. He feared God. If you weren't here on Sunday morning, you should get the recording. Fearing God and having the joy of in God is not inconsistent. Actually, it's perfectly consistent. I've never met a person who has truly has the joy of the Lord and didn't also fear God. I'm not going to elaborate too much. You can just read this. You can listen to the all of Philippians, actually. It's about the joy of the Lord. But um, Philippians 2.12 is about uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So he, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. I tell you, nothing makes me so happy, or I, I should say a few things make me more happy, than to see my son and four daughters just having a great time with each other. And I have you know, I don't, I'm not there. They're just having a, a great time. It's a beautiful thing for a man to see. It's a blessed man who sees his own children enjoying each other. You know, it says their appointed day. Does that mean it was their birthday? Every birthday they got together. I don't know. It says they're on their appointed day. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate uh, birthdays because they say there's no precedent for it in the Bible. I, if I were you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't point out this verse, although there's a possibility that it's, um, that is talking about their birthday. What I would tell them is you should never make a law when the Bible is silent. If the Bible is silent about something, don't make a law. Otherwise, pretty soon you'll have the book of Geo. Out of all Geo's laws that he made where the um, Bible was silent about. Actually, Geo doesn't do any of that. Amani doesn't do any of that, I promise you. But anyway, um, it, 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 it says on their appointed day, so they, it just has this beautiful picture of this family, but it really goes, it, it's speaking about, this really is a, this is a great man. He's raised his children well. Uh, I remember one time I, I made the statement, there's not a, a single example of a good father in the Old Testament. There's a lot of fathers in the Old Testament, even great men. <clears throat> They didn't discipline their kids very well. Uh, David would be one. Uh, you know, Eli's another. Now Samuel's kids didn't behave well at all. It doesn't specifically say he wasn't that good of a father. There's a number of other examples. Um, but someone said to me, uh, well, Job. Job is a, a good example of a father. It's possible that he was a good father. It certainly um, sounds there's certainly some evidence here. His, his children, they're not fighting with each other. They're not, but before the Lord, that's what my two brothers and I did. We, did, we became, we, our, our, our family didn't, didn't grow up Christian. I just fought with my, my two brothers. Now we're extremely close because we all got saved in our 20s. But this is a, a great picture. Just that unity in the family. It does speak to Job's righteousness. 
It also speaks to the blessing of the Lord on Job's life because the Lord knows that's what a father and mother wants to see. Verse 5 says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices according to the number of them all. So that's not in the law of Moses. We do not see that in Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers. This is definitely pre-Mosaic law, and it's we don't know much about what he's doing here, uh, but we do know that uh, pre-Moses, there, there's a number of times where you do see offerings, and it's something that apparently the Lord spoke to the heart of, of godly men. It says, and the, then in verse 5, it, it gives the reason for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So this Job did regularly. So... I will say this, you know, the Bible says that very, very few rich men are called. Uh, it says in the book of James, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, meaning the poor person, but the rich in his humiliation. And the reason for that is the poor tend to trust in the Lord. Um, the rich tend to trust in their riches. Uh, I have met very few rich people who are godly. Now, if you're rich, don't come up to me and say, do you think I'm godly? Please, don't do that. Um, but but it, it just is true. It, it, rich people tend not to be seeking the Lord independent of their riches. Now, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, uh, he says, uh, blessed are you who are poor, it's not poor in spirit, that's Matthew. In 60, blessed are you who are poor. Four years is the kingdom of heaven, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. I tell you, it's a very sobering thing, just getting back from, from, from Peru or Lima. It's just this vast, gigantic city, millions and millions, and just slums on the mountainsides. No windows. Uh, I think they feed electricity up there, but incredible poverty um, just year uh, incredible po poverty for mile after mile after mile uh, but it's pretty hard running into any poor person who does not believe in God now are they Christians many of them obviously are not but they're they're trusting in God they're looking to something that a rich person oftentimes really does trust in their riches. All I can say is if God begins to prosper you, if he begins to start dumping wild amounts of money on you, you better watch out. <laughs> Just, that's all I can say. You better watch out. You better start giving a lot of it away. I mean a lot. Because it, money really can lead someone astray. But this is one of the reasons God pointed out Job there's none like him, verse 8 says. None like him on the whole earth. It's a guy who has, how many? 7,000 sheep, and he is still following the Lord in the midst of it. He realized it's all from the Lord. Every single bit of it is from God. This is really a beautiful picture. This guy, Job, is, is a beautiful picture and, and just in case one of his sons cursed God in, in their hearts, why doesn't it say daughters? I mean, don't daughters sometimes do? I guess not. I, I don't know. 
They do, but it doesn't. It says, in case one of his sons cursed God in his heart, he, he, he offered, and it says he did this regularly. He, he, we were talking on Sunday, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And there's a regularity to that. I'm talking every single day. And will God from a six? Now there came, what? Satan is showing up like with God and like talking to him and in his presence? Yes, the answer is. Revelation 12.10 says, Satan is an accuser of the brethren and he accuses them night and day. Do you know why Satan accuses you? No, that's true, he doesn't sleep. There are, because you sin every day. Uh, he, he also, um, somehow the Holy Spirit applied it to you when you asked Jesus in your life. Um, but he, Satan's in heaven accusing you because you've sinned. And um, he's there with the sons of God. That's a term for an angel here. It's not talking. It doesn't, it, 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 in this particular, this is, let's be very clear. That this, these people are not like Jesus Christ. There is an, it says in John 3.16, Jesus was the only begotten son. Because of verse, to eliminate any confusion with a verse like this, where it says, these are the sons of God. Not to be confused with Jesus Christ, who was the only begotten. So the, the son of God, in this case, is it's like a messenger of God or a servant of God. This is an angel here. The angels are presenting themselves before the Lord. So we don't know a whole lot about this kind of stuff. There is a psalm or two that has similar kind of verse where angels are like showing up, talking to God. And uh, here you have an example. Satan is among them. So Satan is a fallen angelic creature. He was cast, the book of Revelation said he was cast um, out of heaven. And uh, we don't know, again, God, the, we, if we try to figure out why there is a Satan, there are some answers. None of them are really going to fully satisfy. We just know that God knows what he's doing. That's one of the things that the reasons the book of Job is so important. The Lord knows what he's doing. So Satan comes in and the Lord says to him, now where do you come from? Of course, God knows, but um, ask him anyway. By the, word, by the way, the word here is adversary. Satan, the literal translation is um, adversary. He is an adversary. He's a, uh, he's, he is an opposer, an opposer of the things of God. So where do you come from? So Satan says, uh, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. So Satan is not omnipresent. Uh, there is a demonic realm that is all over the world in every city of the world and in most every place of the world. I don't think you're going to go anywhere in the world where you're not going to have any kind of demonic influence. However, um, so so we shouldn't think, although we sometimes use the term Satan in a singular to describe any to to, to to refer to any demonic activity. Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's not the opposite God. He is a creation. He was a created. He's an angel created by God. The Lord said to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So here we find out we don't know the full reason why there's a Satan. We do know that Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. We also know that Satan's pur purpose is basically to get you to curse God or in some other way uh, drag down or throw muck on the glory of God. That is the purpose of Satan. Satan doesn't like this church or any church who is investing in the kingdom of God, resulting in a multiplication of his glory. That's why we pray night and day around here, uh, because we, we, Satan doesn't like that. And he, he what, what does he want to have happen here? This outstanding figure in the community to curse God. You know, when a pastor or a very prominent Christian falls into sin, Satan rejoices. It's exactly what he wants. He wants people to curse God. You see, this is what Christians are really like. He wants to see God cursed. That's what that is, what Satan wants. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Have you not made a hedge around Job? And that means you, you're protecting him. So Satan knows this about you, that God is protecting you. He's protecting you. He has a hedge around you. And I think about this more increasingly over, over the years that how little I can take credit for anything that I do because if the hedge is taken away from me, I'll just be devoured completely by the devil. The Lord allows exactly what I can take, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The Lord knows how much you can take. The Lord knows how much temptation you can bear. And he doesn't allow anything more. You guys have heard the verse, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man that God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you um, are able. And one of the reasons, one of the ways he prevents that is just to have a hedge around. 
you. And so it's so really crazy for you or me to think that we're strong. What, what really is the case is God puts a hedge around us to prevent us from, 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 from falling. Now, does that mean that we don't grow in strength year to year to year for falling in the water? Of course, that is the case. But we, we need to remember that we don't, we have a small fraction, a tiny fraction of the warfare we could otherwise have if, say, if God just removed the hedge from. So there was a hedge around Job in the sense that God was preventing Satan from just coming in and destroying him. John chapter 10 says what about Satan? What does John 10, 10 say? What does it say? Come on. Satan comes for steal, what reason? Destroy. What? Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Well, he's going to be able to do a lot of that here in this chapter. And um, if he had his way with you, he would just do the same thing that he did with Job in chapters 1 and 2. He would just do it with you. You have a hedge around you. And... That's the, just, that's the grace of God. Everyone, even unbelievers, are living under the general grace of God. So Satan, he's insulting God here. He's like, this guy only follows you for what you give him. That's the only reason he follows you. And you know why he's saying this? He's got a lot of experience. Satan knows that a lot of men and women only follow Jesus Christ because, or only follow God because of the idea they're getting something from God. Are you one of those people? Do you follow God for really just one reason? And that is because you get stuff from him? And that's one of the things that it's important for us to ask. It's important for us to ask. He says, if you take away this stuff that he has, I mean, it, it's just a profound insult to the Lord. If you take away these things, he will curse you to your face. And some of you have heard people curse God to your to his face, like... If there is a God, why did he do this to me? Why did he do that to me? And sometimes there's legitimate things. A child was was killed in an automobile accident or someone died of cancer. There are certainly legitimate things, but um, you know that's why we have the book of Job here to, to work, work life, um, work out life with the Lord. So he says, stretch out your hand and touch all that Job has, verse 11, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, there's a great debate Christianity, where a lot of people waste a lot of time, and it's it's between.
between one camp who are called Arminian and another camp who are called Calvinists. And Calvinists do not believe in a free will. Job is a stinging indictment against the idea that there's no free will, that God somehow is behind every choice that every man or woman makes. Otherwise, certainly, the devil would just be saying, Job follows you because you make him follow you. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Believe me, he would have said it if all the Calvinists are right, that there's no such thing as free will. The Bible teaches free will. The Bible teaches God is completely sovereign and in control, and no one can reconcile those two things. You just can't. And as soon as you do, you are going to become divisive. And that's been my universal experience as a pastor over the years. If you uh, try to reconcile those two and try to get people into your camp, you're going to become divisive. You're going to start looking. The Bible teaches free will, and the Bible teaches the sovereignty of God. Job is a book which is an enigma to Calvinists. It's all about the beauty of free will. There is such a thing as a man or a woman who freely chooses to follow the Lord. And I've never heard an argument that makes sense uh, to, to the contrary. But, um, I, but, but so he actually gives Satan permission here. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So all his sons and daughters were killed. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So all his servants, all his sheep were consumed. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped. I tell you, oh, sorry. I thought, who was it who died before? Oh, okay, so, so first his servants died, and then his um, children died. Verse 20, Then Job arose, 
tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. It's just a beautiful scene here. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. So, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of worship. Which is one of the reasons it's very important to hold on fast to the doctrine that every person has a free will. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, we are not those who draw back to perdition, meaning God has treated us so bad we're just leaving God, but of those who believe to the saving of our soul. And it says, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see, God is pleased by those who choose to freely worship him. He's pleased by that. And he's not pleased when you freely decide not to. And so um, here there's this, this beautiful picture of, of Job. Uh, here's this beautiful picture of Job worshiping the Lord when he has the capacity not to perfectly capable of doing it. One of the verses to it is, nothing compares to the promise that I have in you. One of the promises we have in the Lord is that he's good. And that somehow, no matter how low we get, he's good. And the end of all of this that's happening to me is going to be good. Now that is going to happen to Job. And uh, here you have an example of a man who is proving to all of heaven, because keep in mind, just as we read in Hebrews chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, he is, there's a, it's a witness to the angels of heaven. It says all the sons of God in verse 6, the angels of God prison, made their way and presented themselves to God. And there's this conversation about Job and everyone's, Everyone in heaven is wondering, every, I should say everything, I don't know what you call an angel. But they're all looking at Job, wondering what he's going to do. They know he has the capacity to reject God. His wife's going to show up and say, curse God and die. Many, many people have um, cursed God. In, in situations like this. But you have this beautiful worship that is going on here. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin. You know, it's important that uh, we're able to work through our fears. You know, when I was newly married, you know, I, I would like ha be captivated by fear from time to time because my wife 
and I have permission to say this, she was just before the days of cell phones and stuff. I mean, there were times where I would get home after work, she's supposed to be there, and at nine o'clock, she's not there. And I'm just thinking she is inside of a trunk going across state lines and terrified. One time I did this, by the way, and I said, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna get angry on purpose, not because I feel angry, but if I get angry, real angry, and make a show, she'll never do this again. So I took a clock and threw this clock against the wall. This is like one year into my walk with God. When she got, she was so shocked, and then she did the next same exact thing the next weekend. So it, it doesn't work. Doing it, doing it in the flesh doesn't work. <laughs> but that's just as an aside. We can't accomplish through the uh, through the flesh what God wants wants us to do in the spirit. Um, but the point of all this is, you have to begin to start working through your fears. That number one, the fear is irrational. Your kid's kidnapped, your kid's gonna die, your husband's whatever, gonna die, you have this pain and you get can't you think you have cancer. Part of growing as a Christian is working through your fears. Recently I just had this real huge fear about something, and I just had to work through that even if this thing I'm fearing winds up happening. God is good. The Lord is good. I mean, it's also good to remember that you have a flesh and your flesh is irrational and it's lying. The devil's lying to you all the time. But just, just to remember that God is good. And that's part of the reason for this book. God is good. I don't know why all this is going on. This is really, really hard this thing that I'm in, but naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. I mean, I don't know I don't know how many conversations that I'm in where someone is just really, really upset, you know, we can't have kids. We tried for 10 years. Or um, I'm single and 38 years old and not too many men want to marry a woman who is single in their 38 years old. So what's the, you know, God, this God thing, I'm done with it. Well, you know, God's not Santa Claus. God does not exist for the purpose of just gift giving you. Now that, to, to you, now that is, it is true that he is a gift giver. But there is a purpose that is so phenomenally bigger than your life. And it just may be that the Lord wants to be glorified by you being single for the rest of your life. Now, I'm not, I, I, or, or you not having kids, or, 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 or you um, having one, two, three family, immediate family members die. It just may be. It certainly was the case with Job. The end was a good end. God's promises never fail. But listen, Christian, I think uh, 
that began with First Peter. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. He, 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 it's so important that you learn to work through your fears. It's like not okay year after year after year after year if your fears are still having their way with you. It's just not okay. You get to, you get to um, deepen in your trust with the Lord and work out your salvation with fear and trust. Really getting before the Lord and saying, look, I'm so terrified about this thing. Help me, help me work through it. And one of the ways that you work through it is even if this fear it happens, even if what I'm hearing happens, you're going to work. You're going to be good. The end is going to be good. And certainly that is, is one of the things that, that we learn here. And so, uh, naked I came. It says, again, verse 20, Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He went to worship the Lord. It's just such a wonderful picture of godliness. At the time of your greatest calamity, just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I know you're good. I don't know why this is happening. But I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you're in control. I know that I can trust you. He worshiped the Lord. And he wasn't doing it because someone was pressing a button on his back, forcing him to do it. He was doing it out of his own free will. Verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. It, it's, it's interesting, I was talking to someone early on in my Christian walk who was a proponent of the prosperity doctrine, who, who said, this is a long time, this is like conversation was over 30 years ago, but, but he said, notice when, when, when Job said, the prosperity doctrine is that God always wants to prosper you. He's always giving things. He's always, uh, you know, this health and this wealth and it's, 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 it's this kind of thing. And this guy told me, he said, you know, Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. God never told him to say that. He said that, that was just coming from his flesh. God didn't tell him that, that God took it away. But the problem is the next verse, in all this Job did not sin. So he, God did tell him to say that, or God at least uh, was pleased with the worship he was, uh, worship he was worshiping with. In all this Job did not sin, nor charged God with wrong. Now, that's gonna change. Job's not going to be perfect. Um, he, he is going to falter uh, by, by the time we finish this book. He's, 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 he is going to falter. He's going to wonder. But his trials are not over. His trials will uh, continue. 